Hello, this is Historically Thinking's Commonplace Book for the week of December 9th, 2018. It's a week that sees the anniversary of the greatest achievements of the United Nations Organization. On December 10th, 1948, the United Nations General Assembly adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And on December 9th, 1979, smallpox was declared eradicated after a global immunization campaign spearheaded by the World Health Organization. Continuing the theme of international cooperation, December 13th is the centennial of President Woodrow Wilson's arrival in France. It was the first time that a U.S. president had traveled to Europe while serving in office. Theodore Roosevelt had been the first president to travel outside the United States, a three-day trip to Panama to observe progress on the construction of the canal. Wilson's trip was something altogether different, much grander, much more consequential. He first traveled to Paris, was greeted by enormous crowds, went to London after Christmas, met King George V and Prime Minister Lloyd George. He traveled to Italy over the New Year, where he met King Victoria Emmanuel III and Prime Minister Orlando Vittoria. And on January 4th, 1919, this very Protestant president had an audience with the Pope. Wilson was in Europe until February. He left the Versailles Peace Conference, traveled back to the United States on February 24th, feeling that his presence was necessary to deal with critics of the talks in the United States Senate. But on March 5th, Wilson was once again on a ship sailing for France, arriving eight days later to rejoin the conference. It's a week of birth, dates, and major life transitions. One of those, December 9th, the anniversary of the coronation of Frederick II, Stupor Mundi, as some of his contemporaries referred to him, as King of Germany in 1212. He was the son of a Sicilian mother and a German father, and during Frederick's reign, the Holy Roman Empire would encompass both and reach something close to its greatest extent. And December 12th is the birthday of one of Frederick II's greatest biographers, historian of the medieval Mediterranean, David Abu Lafia. December 11th is the 100th birthday of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, whose thoughts and history were featured in episode 27 of the Historically Thinking podcast. And this week also contains the birthdays of two notable historians. December 13, 1914, was the birthday of Alan Bullock, historian of modern Europe, founding master of St. Catherine's College, Oxford. His mother was a lady's maid, his father a gardener, and a Unitarian preacher with a passion for knowledge. He and his son would sometimes speak together in Latin as Alan was learning it. After graduating from Wadham College, Oxford, Alan Bullock became one of Winston Churchill's research assistants in 1938, working on Churchill's history of the English-speaking peoples. Asthma prevented Bullock from going to war, but that war, and particularly Adolf Hitler and his role in it, became an abiding preoccupation. Bullock's Hitler, a study in tyranny, was published in 1952 and he became one of a trio of quarreling Oxford dons, including A.J.P. Taylor and Hugh Trevor Roper, who helped to make modern and recent European history into something respectable. As one biographer has written, being a member of the generation that wanted to write about his time, living among young people who fought and bled in World War II, finished their military service, and continued in higher education because they were eager to have an answer to their why. Alan Bullock contributed enormously to the breakthrough, which turned contemporary history into a focus for academic research and teaching.
Forty years later, Bullock returned to the subject and wrote Hitler and Stalin Parallel Lives. Asked which dictator he would rather spend the weekend with, Bullock answered Hitler, because although it would have been boring in the extreme, you would have had a greater certainty in coming back alive. Bullock admitted ruefully that, I only write enormous books, and attribute that to the limited time he had to write. He referred to himself as a weekend historian, given the demands placed upon him not only for raising funds for St. Catherine's, but managing it as well, and eventually managing the entire university as its first active vice-chancellor. He also was involved in committee work for numerous English governments on topics as diverse as reading and the uses of English and on industrial democracy. I have been a very lucky man, he said. I couldn't change the world, but I did get a college founded. Alan Bullock, born December 13, 1914, died February 2, 2004. The week also is the birthday of Peter Gale, born December 15, 1887, a Dutch historian. He was a high school teacher and a newspaper correspondent before becoming a professor of Dutch history at the University of London. In 1935, he returned to the Netherlands, becoming professor of history at the University of Utrecht. In 1940, Hale was taken to Buchenwald, where he was imprisoned for 13 months. He spent the next three years imprisoned by the German rulers of the Netherlands in various Dutch prisons. Following liberation in 1945, he became chair of history at Utrecht. Gael was notable for being not only a historian of the Netherlands, but also a critic of other historians. Such criticism was particularly fierce against those who looked for patterns of universal history, Gael finding them meaningless and unhistorical, metaphysical speculations dressed up as history. And this was because, he argued, history cannot be conceived, and it cannot be written or communicated, except from a point of view conditioned by the circumstances of the historian. One can even argue that, humans being what they are, history can benefit by a close contact of the historian's imagination or awareness with contemporary life. He did not find this dismaying. Mankind is not omniscient. We are not unable to see every side of everything. Therefore, he wrote, history can reach no unchallengeable conclusions on so many-sided a character, on a life so dominated, so profoundly agitated by the circumstances of the time. To expect from history those final conclusions, which may perhaps be obtained in other disciplines, is, in my opinion, to misunderstand its nature. Every historical narrative is dependent upon explanation, interpretation, appreciation. In other words, we cannot see the past in a single communicable picture except from a point of view, which implies a choice, a personal perspective. Nevertheless, Hale believed a portion of the truth can be found even when they seem to be in direct contradiction. Any one thesis or conception may in itself be unsatisfactory, and yet it does not lose all its value even when it is given up for another. Something sticks to the critics. Those who come after are usually a bit richer. We may think of history as an argument without end. And that's the end of the Historically Thinking Commonplace book. If you like this podcast, then join the Historically Thinking Facebook page. Or why not subscribe to Historically Thinking's weekly newsletter, Notanda, for a roundup of links and ideas mostly related to history and higher education. You'll find the subscription link at the top of our website, historicallythinking.org. 
I'm Al Zambon, right in the corner where you are.